probity, I know probity has always been a very critical consideration when it comes to government procurement processes. Do, do you think probity and, and are there any challenges in, in implementing something that's quite fair now, especially when we're operating in a different environment where people are remote, people are downsizing? How, how do you maintain that probity in a fair procurement process when things are changing so rapidly? I think that the, this is another plus for digital procurement because what it does is it gives you greater transparency over traditional forms. Mm. So, so pro, the fundamental probity is being fair and equitable to the suppliers who are competing or suppliers in the market. So, mm -hmm. as long as this, you know the digital procurement landscape allows you that. Uh, transparency, so people can see who's gone into the system and who's what decisions are made, and and etc. Mm -hmm. It allows you to manage conflicts of interest. You, know, you may have to accept a, a different level of risk with during an emergency, but you still want management of conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, if I speak of from a government perspective, I'm sure the public would still expect, even in emergency, that we would still get a commercially competitive price for something if we we're having to buy get it you know additional supply from a new supplier or something like that that yeah. we'd at least get for that period of time a reasonably competitive price compared to the market you know to the private yeah. sector they wouldn't they wouldn't people wouldn't expect government to overprice for something yeah um, even during an emergency period so and I, so again, I just see digital procurement allowing us that transparency that from a probity perspective saying, well, you're actually maintaining the standards that we've always kept. Um, and vice versa, I thought, if I think of the private sector, the private sector is now has the same expectation that, you know, they buy, they're buying things in an ethical, um, transparent manner, that they, they, they don't compromise the process uh, within route, you know. So yeah, yeah I, I think probity still is maintained. You may not get a probity advisor in for everything, and you yeah. probably wouldn't. Um, you know, uh, for any probity advisors listening, you know, I'm sorry to yeah. say, but emergency speed will say, are we? You know, the business will take a risk. Yeah, um, it trumps it trumps probity in some instances, not everyone. That's, <laughs> that's right. But if you've got the transparency, then his, you can always look back and say. Well, how, yeah. how was that process? Was there yeah, any, um, is there any reason to, to question that it wasn't defendable or justifiable to select that supplier? Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it allows you to automate again, going back to that um, piece about people being distant, it allows people to work from home, but still approve the, the, the make the decision, authorize yes. the decision electronically yes. rather than, you know, I think of in government often we use paper, but the digital procurement has allowed us to just do it through, you know, a, um, a digital signature. Yeah, it's becoming more and more, more uh, important right now. No, it's a good point. I think one of the things you also touched on there was ethical and social procurement. I think um, that that right now is, 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 is always been a, a really common approach and, and a real driver for the governments to, around Australia to, to socially source and ethically source, but also to drive spending to certain demographics as well. Um, do, do you see that being um, even more important now going forward where we're trying to drive um, 
jobs in the small to medium sector, jobs in certain regions, and, and being using tools to go out and, and socially source to get certain outcomes almost. To say, yes, we're, we're buying this set of products and services for Bendigo, but we want the, the money to, for that to go to Bendigo, not to central Melbourne, for example. Um, you know, in the last six months, if you think of the bushfires and now the pandemic, the, yeah. the country has taken on a lot of crises um, and experienced a lot of um, sort of sad situations for many individuals and small businesses and regional and rural areas, along with the metropolitan areas. The yeah. government will, um, and although, you know, bushfires, they already do is try to grow the local community back through putting grants into place in there. So rather than procurement, but using a grants mechanism um, to sort of get uh, community and small businesses growing and starting back again. I can see that this, this being during this period, I, I can see the next 12 months very much a focus on of a local um, supplier, so you know, social or indigenous suppliers, or low, yeah. low or small um, businesses in local communities or local areas, for there to be an increase in um, money or funding or strategies around procurement going into those areas to, so that more and more businesses don't go out of out of business, more and more jobs aren't lost, things like that and you can quickly create uh, new opportunities to get it back, uh, the economy running and, and you know, the community back in a, in a good mindset. So absolutely, even though you know, it's been a valuable, um, and it links back to my earlier conversation around where government is always looking at the communities, that's one of its primary um, objectives is to yeah. help um, support the communities. In these type of scenarios, absolutely, they'll they'll use procurement as a mechanism to um, do exactly that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and you know, and I support that. I think it's fantastic um, for it. So yeah. No, I, I think really important, especially in these times and uh, where we're trying to drive uh, and make sure. The, the people who benefit from any rebuilding in these environments is not just the big corporates. Uh, I think it's a really important thing to, to spread that, uh, the, the limited money around to the right people. So I completely agree. Yeah, uh, and, and government recognises big corporates can have a greater opportunity to access a um, more greater credit or have a yeah. greater capacity to manage cash flow than a small to medium. Yeah, uh, which goes back to the comments we had at the very beginning of the podcast around uh, this, the five being paid in five days. Uh, you're absolutely right. Cash flow is critical to some of these small companies and uh, having a technology that supports the ability to pay. It's all very well to say you want to pay someone in five days, but unless you can pay someone in five days through use of uh, AI to, in effect, strip out invoices and, and evaluate the line items and validate whether the uh, they line up with the original purchase orders. Unless that technology is in place, you yeah. can't physically pay them. So it, no. it's a combination of a desire and the technology to support that. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. 
What, what about statewide like uh, agreements across the, the country? Is it, are you seeing, I think some states call them common use agreements, we call them uh, state purchasing contracts. Do, do you think that, that that's going to grow and uh, is it an important part for uh, part of doing business with government nowadays? I think it is. You know, the government tries to spread the, the load in terms of spread the capacity to have more suppliers supporting. Um, so again, it's probably one of those dynamic differences with the private sector where often the private sector is trying to leverage and get a minimal number of suppliers. Mm -hmm. Government wants to support more suppliers, you know, again, linking it into that community space. Yeah. So for different, it depends on the supplier, but if it's a very common generic supply or it's a service type supplier, absolutely there's going to grow more and more of these um, common agreements or state purchasing yeah. agreements has allowed us to have a far further reach into different suppliers who historically may not be known to, to governments. Being web-based, it means, you know, suppliers from, um, you know, in the regions in the um, um, or interstate can compete with, um, you know, suppliers in a particular area um, yeah. and so that makes it easier for us to grow the number of suppliers who we support. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I see it growing. Um, there's still always got to be a competitive aspect to it so you know it's not um, it's not an endless list that they just the governments just add you know new suppliers constantly to it but they do want to have at least a good spread of suppliers so they are seen to be contributing and still getting commercial competitive value back for it. Yes, definitely. And obviously it's a massive way of, of speeding up procurement cycles. So you have smaller entities which suddenly have access to pre-negotiated rates and they can just literally pick and choose those as they need. They may have specific requirements in which case they don't use them or if it's a generic product or service then they, they've got something ready-made which they can reuse. Exactly right. Spot no. on. It also internally both for a supplier and government, it means that the, there's not that, and yourself would experience it, the cost yeah. of tendering internally Yes. where you can just go straight to either buy direct off a catalogue for an item mm -hmm. or yep. at least have a very quick quotation process. Yes. Not having to do a full-blown tender that might take multiple months or yeah something. and a contracting process that takes months as well so <laughs> yes I, I think the, the last point I know we're, we're coming to the end here but uh, maybe the last point are there any must-haves you think from a technology side of things that will help governments manage their procurement landscape smarter and, and make it more futuristic i.e ready for for, for years 2021, 2022, those kind of stuff. Are there any must-haves out there that we need to be focusing on? Well, certainly the, in a technical sense, technology sense, cloud configuration, absolutely, and yeah. ease of integration into other systems. So the APIs having those sort of tools to be able to be quite agnostic in terms of integrating into any other associated system or application. Yeah. The, yeah. the other is in a government context, uh, you know, governments 
are extremely large in terms of their uh, footprint, footprint, so and user base. So um, the ability for the application to be sc highly scalable at a very cost-effective price is 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 probably a key piece. Um, scalable being, um, you know, it just grows naturally, and anyone can have access to it. They don't need particular software or applicate, you know, fundamental equipment underneath it. They can just, get, as you said earlier, yeah. to a web browser and very readily available. And with that, um, you know, very cost to connect, to touch, to take advantage of. Um, functionality, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm big one on, on having a wider breadth of functionality. So, you know, being able to touch all the different points of purchasing, contract map, the sourcing, um, yeah. et cetera, supplier, performance management, relationship aspects, having though that functional spread yes. is the other side because, you know, it's frustrating if you have to do sourcing in one tool, but then contract management or or supplier performance management, et cetera, in other yeah. tools, a different suite. Um, it's better if it's all sort of well integrated, well connected. Um, so yeah, so that'd be sort of, and again, being able to use it. So the user ability, and that's why the web-based is so much easier, yeah. because um, people are very familiar with web-based. They are. Than, you know, if I think of some of the old tools we used to use year, you know, years <laughs> ago, um, you, know, you know, you take your months and months to learn. Um, and you used to have a big fat manual sitting beside your desk to remember yeah, how to, right. to use some of the tools. The old web-based you can do stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. All those old, uh, you know, uh, green screens and things like that. Um, yeah. It's so much better now where people are familiar with web-based. Um, they they know that if they make an error, they can go back and you know correct yes. it and things like that. Um, so yeah, so. But they the main I'd say. And the idea behind it being that uh, you don't need to be trained. You should be able to pick something up and just instinctively navigate your way That's through a process. Correct. Mm. Yeah, no, really important. Correct. And that fits into, which is, again, beautiful digital procurement, is guided yes. buying. So the system yes. guides the user through the process. Um, yes. And so that, you know, that's powerful for the means. Again, it reduced costs internally around not having to train people, um, et cetera. They can just get a login and a quick, maybe um, a, a um, online training for 30 minutes. Bang, go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so really allows, and you add chatbots and things like that to it. And then yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just a great experience for the user. Well. Uh, especially if you're trying to trying to enable hundreds or thousands of users across a, a distributed environment, that's the only way to go nowadays. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, look, Phil, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Uh, it it's always good to hear from different people in these podcasts and, and getting your view from someone who's covered both commercial and some various senior roles in the Victorian government uh, is really helpful. I do appreciate it. You've got some great insights on on how governments are moving in the procurement space, also some of the issues we're facing on a day-to-day -day basis right now. Um, but yeah. thank you so much for attending. I do appreciate that. And this does bring us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any questions relating to any of Zykus's offerings, please reach out to anz at zykus.com.
Otherwise, thank you, and uh, we'll sign off. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone.